I'm so encouraged about the things that are happening in this church. I'm so encouraged that as a church, we are caring about our actions that allows our words to retain more meaning. And what I mean by that is the things that we're doing in our grants and in our community barbecues. If you're on Slack right now, you'll notice that, that we just had pictures of Friday night's uh, street meet and greet. And this, this one, if you're looking at the pictures right now on your Slack app, this is the third time we've hosted a street meet and greet in this, at this address. The third time, third summer in a row, we've hosted at this address. And what happens with that is the community starts to expect it. The community starts to expect that something valuable is happening here, something important is going on, and they, won't, they can't put their finger on it for sure. They just know that it's good, that this is a good thing. And you always hear at every street meet and greet I've ever been to is, we should do this more often, or we should do this again. You know, and that's what I hear again and again. And, and as I look at these pictures, and this is, you know, I've been there the past two years. I wasn't there this year. Um, this is the picture of what it is to be at the church. And I'm just, I'm so excited because it leads into our sermon now. See, a church can't be standing, telling everybody, we know the way, we know the way, we know the way, and not actually doing anything. That's called hypocrisy. And so I am grateful that as we step into a, to a context about evangelism, and I love the image that Devin chose for this, because there's so many, uh, there's so many um, archetypes around that image. Um, I love it. But as we step into a conversation about evangelism, we start to realize that the only way that the words matter is when the integrity of the group is actually present, when the integrity of what we do is present. Now you can link the fact that we love you and care for community with the same message that Jesus loves you and cares for community. That was all free. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to spend the next 10 Sundays talking about our faith and how we communicate our faith to those who are unawares, to those who do not know why some people would bother with the, quote, religion of Christianity. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts. God, that you would open up our motivations. God, I pray that you would equip us with, with practical tools to be able to step into the calling that you're giving us. And I pray you do all that in Jesus' name. Amen. The publishers wrote on the back of Sam Chan's book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World, they wrote this on the back. Many of the principles and methods of evangelism, that is sharing your faith, from the 20th century, no longer work effectively today. We need new methods to communicate timeless messages of the gospel in a culturally relevant way. We need new methods to communicate the truth of Jesus in a way that our culture can understand, in a way that our culture can be like, oh, that's not just a random idea, but it's something that I can that I can orient my life around. 
Every single book that I've read on church or evangelism, they all state the same basic sentiment. They say, we used to be able to do it in the 70s, and we need to get back to it somehow. But I haven't found too many books that are like, oh yeah, and this is what's working on mass. I haven't found many books that are just like, yep, this is, this is the way it is. So today I want you guys to engage on Slack all throughout this. Um, and so this is, um, I want you to engage on Slack. So this is the question I have for you. Why should Christians evangelize? Why? Just basic, basic motivation question, basic obligation question. Why should Christians share their faith? I need to hear from you on Slack about this. Why should Christians share their faith at all? Why should we evangelize? Someone on Slack said, uh, said chase them through the pool with my lawn tractor for a group baptism. It's a decent idea. Um, so, so someone else said, there's the same truth and a new method to reach the world. So the question to you guys now is, why should Christians evangelize Mark 13, 9 to 11 says this. Be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. That sounds really fun. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be first proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, when this happens, don't be anxious about what you're going to say. Oh, when in the world of don't be anxious has that ever worked? <laughs> but Jesus is pretty sure. He's like, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say. But whatever is given you in that hour... But say whatever is given you in that hour, because it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Thank God. Thank God. So what is the gospel in the first place? Romans 1.16 used to drive me nuts as a teenager, and I think I get it a little bit more now. So Romans 1.16 answers it. It describes the gospel as the actual power of God seen on earth, namely Jesus. So watch this. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel... Because, here's our definition, which rocked me for a while. It is, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is that God is here to save. That's good news. God is here to save. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew, to the Greek. So, what is telling the gospel to others? Is it a method, a lifestyle, a tract? What qualifies telling the gospel? What's my responsibility in doing it? Why should Christians evangelize? Here we go. Wow, you guys are on fire today. Um, when you have something good, you want to share it. You want to be dancing down the streets of good with my friends and my family one day. We have something good. Um, someone else says, 
It was Jesus' last word to his followers. It was commanded of us, go and make disciples. Absolutely. Am I wrong to share this only with people that want to hear? Meaning, if someone asks, I answer what I know? No, you're not wrong. But Jesus is telling us, you know, we share our faith. Go. Um, it is the only message that, when embraced, leads to salvation. That's why I share my faith. See, these are great answers. Um, oh, this is actually a wonderful one. I've heard it before, but I love it. If a speeding train is about to run over someone... Would you want to rescue them? We want to keep people from the consequences of ignoring or not knowing the good news of Jesus. There's a motivation. There's a motivation. But we have some problems, and we have to admit it. The, the publisher says that, that our systems don't work anymore, and so now we actually need to admit, okay, so what are, what are our problems? See, uh, a book I was reading, I think it was called The Failure of Nerve, um, it... I think it came from this book. It says that your systems are perfectly aligned for you to get the exact results that you are getting. There it is. Our systems of evangelism, of sharing our faith as a group of people, are perfectly aligned to get the exact results that we're getting right now. Okay, good. So what are some of the problems? The first problem sounds astronomically huge. We simply do not know how to evangelize in today's world. Someone just said, we live in a society that loves to rate things like on Google. It seems only natural that we should also want to promote the new life to others that's so enriching our lives. Exactly. So there are pressures that are working against us from doing that. There's a reason that we don't fully feel comfortable sharing our faith more. Reason number one that I realized is we're told pretty consistently by the experts that we're doing it wrong, but nobody worked a model for us. You see the, the bullhorn guy here? We, we think of like back in the 80s and the 90s when people would get on a street corner with a bullhorn and start yelling at people. Well, you don't see that as much anymore. Well, why? Because we told those people you're doing it wrong. And now nobody wants to be sharing our faith. We feel from a young age that the conversation around faith is private. This is a huge influence on us. Faith now, what you do with your religion and what you do with your belief in our culture has been relegated to the same privacy conversations that sex and money used to be. Money still is, sex not as much. They're private things and not public. And everyone should have their own religion respected and affirmed. And that means that you shouldn't share your faith. We're going to get into that next week. Uh, a great book to read on that is called Foolishness to the Greeks by uh, Leslie Newbegin. So we do not speak much about God. This is another problem, why we don't share our faith. Because we don't speak much about God. You come to church, and you sit in a pew, like what you're in right now, and you listen to a professional, or, you know, hey. <laughs> you listen to a professional wax eloquently, and you think, I can't do that. And then, you're not actually 
practicing talking to people about God. In church, you're not even talking about God because our systems are set up to give us the exact results that we have. So we struggle, and then our last one is we struggle to believe the basic tenets of the Christian propositional statements. I struggle to understand what you just said. Um, we, we struggle to understand these basic ideas, these big claims of Christianity. We struggle to actually believe that they're true. Think about this one. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Yes, but what if somebody's really nice? I struggle to wrap my head around Jesus' own words. That caught some attention. God's wrath will be poured out on all evil. I thought God was love. God's wrath. I'm struggling here to truly believe what's in Scripture. Relationship is stronger than or greater than stranger evangelism. How do I get into relationship with my community? Street meet and greet, promise grants, driving kids to VBS. Be present in your community. Great advice. I wonder how many people have been turned away by bad evangelism. It needs to be more about the other person than checking off that you have shared. Thank you. And we're going to get right into that. Thank you for that. So we're struggling to believe the basic tenets. We, we don't speak about God very much on our own. Um, we feel from a young age the conversation about faith is private, and we're told the, by the experts that we're doing it wrong. So here's what we do. There's a few of us in the room that are just like, I'm bucking all of that, and I'm just going to go tell people about Jesus. God bless every single one of you that does that. And, 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 you, and you work to be good communicators, good salespeople. You package Jesus in an effective presentation that'll, help, that'll tip people's belief systems. And then we discover, you know, sometimes we're, we're trying, we're trying, and then we, must, we conclude that, get this, other people are called to evangelism. It just must be someone else that's called to that because I suck. I don't know, maybe there's somebody who feels that. Maybe there's somebody who's like, yeah, that's not my gifting. Someone else can do that. Someone else can do that. I think it's also hard in today's society. Everything we see online are massive blow-ups and arguments between those who really believe and those who really don't believe. And they get loud and angry. And to get into the nitty-gritty, we see that, uh, we see that and we go, I can't handle being in an argument like that. I don't know enough about God not to look foolish. I'm scared to talk about it to others because I'm because of that. And yes, this is the reality we live in. This is the reality we live in. These are challenges to sharing our faith. We don't know how to effectively evangelize. Now, I want to go back to our verse because that's what we do. We preach from the Bible. Evangelism was never meant to be done on your own. Never. It's not a biblical model. It's not meant to be done on your own. The Bible says, but what you say will be given to you in the hour. It's not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. What? That's madness. 
Like, I mean, I'm struggling to accept the basic tenets of the Christian faith here. What do you mean the Holy Spirit is going to speak through me? I literally mean that God himself is so passionate about his love and his pursuit of people that he will use your mouth and your words to speak truth to other people if you just open. It's not you. It's not you who's got the pressure, who's doing the work. Evangelism isn't about learning techniques. It's about desiring Jesus above everything. It's about desiring Jesus above everything. Acts 1, 4-5 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days by now. The rest of us people want to come to Jesus. We tell ourselves that lifestyle is the best contribution. If we're just good enough, the people will notice that we're different, and then they'll come running. Our system is set up to get the exact results that we're getting now. Lifestyle evangelism just puts you on the exact same plane as the other good people in your neighborhood. I don't know if you got to know your neighbors. They're actually good, nice people. Except for that jerk. But you know, he's an outlier. But they're good, nice people. So you being a good, nice person doesn't lead anybody to Jesus. It just doesn't. You're a good, nice person. Praise God. There's got to be more. Okay. There's lots going on in Slack. We keep talking about the challenges with evangelism to non-receptive people. What if, rather than focus our energy on debating non-receptive people, we focus on our, our energy on making them receptive before trying to convert them? Boom. I love it. Okay, we actually need to go right down to the roots. I'm going to take Slack right now, and on Slack, I want you guys to engage with this question. Right at the roots of what we believe, right at the roots of what we are as Christians, what makes being a Christian good? Really? What makes being a Christian good? Evangelism is a Greek word that we just co-opted into an English word. It's euangelion, and it means good news. So at the core of it, what makes Christianity even good? This institution of rules and hypocrisy and control, this institution that just wants your money, and blah, 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 every other internet trope that exists on the world, really, what makes Christianity good? Every person, every person has an existential cry. They have a question at the core of their being, a crisis that they cannot Resolve. So prescripted answers are often rejected. People have lots of assumptions about Christianity, and the answer that they thought represented Christianity was not accurate. I've run into this so many times where somebody's just talking, 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 and the answer that they thought that Christianity offered wasn't even close to true. I'm like, no, what? Where did you get that from? 
That's not what Jesus offered at all. Jesus is offering you forgiveness. He's offering you hope. He didn't offer you a million dollars. He didn't do that. People have assumptions about Christianity, but every person has an existential question that's at the core of their deepest desires. And when listened to, people will be getting there on, the, on this, when listened to, we discover that Jesus is the answer to every single question. Questions of justice in this world. Guys, I don't know if you noticed, but our justice system and our idea of justice is messed up in this world right now. It is. Everyone knows it. We've got all kinds of ways to solve it, but the problems are there. There's, there's questions of justice. Jesus answers the question of justice in a way that nobody else does. He takes on evil on the cross, and he absorbs it, and he says, it is finished. It is finished. He's answering justice in a way that we never thought of. Questions of morality. Oh my gosh. The moral debate in Canada is huge. Redefining what is morality and what is not morality. When we, when we uh, probably about 70 years ago, abandoned the major church model, the Christendom model, as a nation, we abandoned that. And now we are working out in real time and space what is morality even supposed to be. And we're changing the rules on morality. Questions of morality, Jesus offers an eternal answer. Questions of provision. When we talk about economic structures in the world and how, and how a government should, make, should, should facilitate making money and should the government be large and, and, and provide a lot of subsidies or should the government be small and allow the large corporations to, to generate wealth, questions of provision and economics, Jesus says, I am the provider. And questions of power. What is the good news of Jesus to these questions? Ultimately, what makes the gospel good? What makes being a Christian good? Redemption, redemption through Jesus. It provides a way for a person to receive forgiveness, to know that they are made right with their creator. Um, it, what makes Christianity good is that we believe in a God who brings life out of death. I love it, Romans 8 uh, Romans 4, 18 to 21. Please take a moment and read that. Christianity is good because I don't have to be good enough. God inspires me to try to be good, but falling short of perfection is not a problem to God. It's good because I can't measure up. Christianity is good because it offers hope. Okay, just two more problems we're going to tackle today very quickly. That was the big one. We don't know how to evangelize. The second one is we are trying to answer the wrong question. Everybody has a question. But what we did in the 80s and the 90s is we assumed the singular question. And if you've been around telling people about Jesus for a long time, then, then you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, it doesn't really matter. But when we answer the wrong question, you're not going to get the results that you want. So what Christians have tried to do is they've tried to say, here is the carte blanche starting point for everybody. You are a sinner. Okay, that's true, right? You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're not. Uh, 
Um, we, we started the carte blanche for everybody. You're a sinner. And the Bible absolutely affirms that. However, the person that walks around our town, right at that window, it's very rare that I can see the actual world outside of the church, but when a person walks around our town, they don't walk around every day going, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. They don't actually think about that at all. Who cares? I'm a person trying to do the right thing in the world. I'm a person who is who's trying to make sure that I care for my family, who I'm doing all of the good things. I'm, I'm a good moral citizen. I don't get arrested for all the things that I could have gotten arrested for. Um, we just do all of those things, and we just live our life. And then a Christian walks up to them with the, with the message of the good news and starts off with, you're a sinner. Oh, am I? That's news. Interesting. You're a jerk. <laughs> but even if they accept that, even if they get it, okay, I'm a sinner. And? Oh, well, we think this is an open door. But it's the wrong question. Here's what happens. You're a sinner. Oh, you're right. I'm a sinner. Oh, well, there's, a, there's hope for you. I didn't even know I was a sinner five minutes ago, but great. I'm a sinner. I'll accept you. And now there's hope for me. Great. Okay, here's the hope. It's Jesus. True statement. It's Jesus. Yeah, okay. So Jesus takes away my sin? Yes. Good. I'll accept that. This is actually a, a real conversation I've had with somebody. I'll accept that Jesus takes away my sin. Wonderful. Say this prayer with me. Prayer? Sure, I'll say this prayer with you. What could it hurt? Say the prayer. Uh, dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on a cross and you rose again to forgive me of all my sins so I could live forever with you in eternity. Awesome. Now you're a Christian. Great. What did that change? Well, you're a Christian now. Oh. Okay. So what about the real question that I'm asking? What about the real pain that I'm experiencing? What about the fact that when I was a child... Terrible, unmentionable things happen to me. How's the gospel good? It's wonderful we can lead people through a whole bunch of systems. But if we answer the wrong question, if we didn't listen to the pain point, we just inform them, you're a sinner. Look, People have already experienced enough bad news in the world that the job of sharing the good news is actually pinpointing the bad news they've experienced and drawing them to the solution, which is Jesus. It's not finding some generic universal bad news that's ethereal and out there. It's bad stuff happens to me. There was a man sitting on our stoop this morning I invited him in. He didn't come in. And he's like, I have so much pain. I listened to him for about five minutes, and I was like, you have not only so much pain, you have so much anger. And he's like, yeah, I'm angry. He goes, I don't know. I, 
I'm not going to make it. I'm like, yeah, okay, I hear you. And as we talked to him, the verse that came to my heart was, come all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I told this man outside of our church this morning, sitting on the grass, some of you saw me sitting there. I told this man in the morning and I said, Jesus wants to offer you reprieve from your suffering. Today, right now, come into church. Come and accept the love and acceptance of Jesus today in church because he wants to offer you reprieve. The gospel for him is reprieve. It's just a moment, a breath. He goes, every time I turn around, I just get sucked into this. He's holding the can of Molson Canadian. You could see him out in the mess over there unless someone was nice enough to clean it up. He's holding the can. He gets like drawn back into this and it just makes me more depressed. You need reprieve from your suffering, my friend. The gospel doesn't start with me telling you what the bad news is. It starts with listening. What do you need, what do you need hope through? So we try to answer the wrong question. I had a bunch of other great stories there, but I'm not going to touch them. What's an example of an existential question that you have heard? What's an example that you've heard? Someone said God made us be in relationship with him. Humanity rebelled and rejected him. Being a Christian has reconnected me to my creator and has given me my life purpose and personal peace. Such an awesome testimony and so true. So true. Something I found amazing about my faith is that I feel comfort and belonging in Jesus. We have to start with the good news, not the bad news. So we, put, we also, our third problem is, the first problem was we don't know what we're doing. Second one, we're asking the wrong question. And here, we put too much pressure on our work. The other word, Greek word associated with good news is caruso. It means proclamation, to, to say it out, to get the word out there. As if good news wasn't quite enough, it's actually about getting the word out there. And we need to not forget what good news it is. I'm going to take you all the way back to the nativity. Luke 10 to 12. And I'm going to sit here for a second. And then we're going to, then we're going to wrap up. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, great joy, that will be for all people. Notice he didn't start with bad news. He started with good news. The shepherds already knew the bad news. Foreign oppression, heavy government rule, rules of taxation they didn't sign up for. They already knew the bad news. The angels come and proclaim good news. I bring you good news, great joy that will be for all people. For unto you today is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. The angels expected a response. We put too much pressure on ourselves. The angels' job was simply proclamation. The angels were not responsible for the shepherd's response. That was not their job. We put too much pressure on ourselves. Way too much pressure. 
The angels proclaimed, I tell you, good news of great joy. Today, in the city of David, a Savior who is born, who is Christ Jesus the Lord. This is good news, everybody. We can celebrate this. And the shepherds could have easily responded, meh, I got stuff to do. My wife's expecting me home after the night shift. Meh, you look cool, man. They could have just looked at the angels and be like, wow, that was cool. Trippy sight, eh? Let's go to the bar. The angels did not ever exert control on the response. The angels evangelized. The angels evangelized. What's an example of a life question that you've heard? Even if I believe in God's, uh, why should I accept his arbitrary morality, dis- destroyer of cities and Egyptian children? That doesn't sound good, right? People need to, people, people are, are working with that, right? Um, these, are, these are hard existential life questions that they've heard. Um, do morals really exist? What difference does God make? What difference does God make? Wow, there's a real pain point. Let me show you the difference that God has made. Let me tell you the difference. Let me, let me help you see the difference. Why do children die and bad adults don't die soon enough? Pain points. How is a loving God able to meet with people who are in desperate need? These are pain points. Can I trust what God actually said? Pain point. I've been lied to so many times before. I don't even know what to trust. How could I trust God? We put so much pressure on ourselves, and the angels, they understood what the role is. Just tell the good news. Understand why it's good, which is what we've been doing today. You don't have to convince anybody, as someone just said. We could allow God to do it. So today there are three problems. We don't know how to evangelize in this culture, so we have to wait on God. We're trying to answer the wrong questions, so we have to listen. This whole series is going to be themed a lot around listening. We have to listen. And we're putting too much pressure on ourselves for the outcomes. So we get discouraged when they don't happen and we go, well, I guess I suck. Somebody else must be called to it. No, guys, we are called to it. This is our calling. A good church leader one day said that Jesus is the salvation for the whole world, but the, but the church carries the hope of the entire world because we carry the message. We're going to get into that in future sermons. We have become like angels because, as someone says here, angels are God's messengers. So we all become that. Lord Jesus, we have so many problems. Our systems are broken. We've been told our whole lives that it's private, that we don't really know what we're doing, and so we should leave it to the qualified. But Jesus, your solution was very different. You took a bunch of random people from random stations in life And he said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes because you're not supposed to be the one doing it. It's me. And so, God, I pray that you would allow us the grace for ourselves 
that we would help, that we would understand your grace, that the words we use, you're working through them. You're giving us words. Jesus, help us, help us understand you more and more, especially as we go through this series. In Jesus' name, amen.